back again. His thoughts were unclear. Why do I come back here again and again? Is it really belief? He'd always thought it was, but after the last time, everything he believed had to be questioned. Everything he believed was questioned since that horrible Passover. It was beginning to get light now and Micaiah could hear the people stirring. After three days of walking, he should have been so exhausted that they would have had to shake him to consciousness. But no, the constellations that were now fading from view, he had watched dance a good third of their nightly course. Oh God! Did he say that aloud? He fervently whispered, Oh God, are you there? Are you real? He lay still, flat on his back, on the roof of his cousin's house, conscious of the scores of others crowded up there because of the festival. The scores of thousands here in the city, and yet he felt alone, empty. He was glad that he had come in late, and so it was out in the open. It was good to have something besides a cloth roof to look at with unseeing eyes. How many battled with their beliefs as he was? Finally, he could get up. It was still a little early, but no one would scrutinize him with questioning eyes now. And moving about gave some semblance of life, well, living, to what was feeling more and more like a walking death. Still contemplating at breakfast, he suddenly realized he had not acknowledged anyone around him for some time. He hadn't even remembered they existed. He jerked his head up and looked around, sure that they would be staring at him, but no one was. There were just furtive glances here and there. Then he knew there was no festive spirit at all. No one felt like they did last Pentecost or even the last time they were all here, seven Sabbaths ago when they first got here for Passover. That, of course, was it. Everything was soured now. It would never be the same again. Those around him moved like brutish cattle as they prepared for their trek to the temple. Micaiah himself moved mindless of his surroundings. What had drawn him back here this time? Would he come back again? If all these had hollow chests like his, would any come for the next festival? He had hoped for that old feeling. He had hoped for hope. But there was only emptiness. They all began to move through the crowded streets with no more consciousness than sheep who knew not that they would soon be slaughtered. People were pouring out of the houses and down from the rooftops. Then the inevitable slowing as they climbed towards the temple. The stench of animals and humans nearly overpowered him. The very joy that used to swell up in him as these thousands all celebrated together had been sucked out of his soul. Now it was just so much noise. No longer a mass of celebrants pressing towards their goal. No, determination seemed to be the only driving force. Some sort of unwillingness to let the past die. But Micaiah knew the past was dead. This festival could not change what had happened. Their hope, their joy was buried with the Nazarene carpenter. Suddenly, Micaiah shot up his hand in self-protection and ducked down. There were cries of fear. What was that sound? He had heard something like it before in the mountains. A great storm had caught them on a trip and they hid in a cave. The wind sounded like it would tear the very rock of the mountain to pieces. But here, the sky was clear. 
The flags and tents moved listlessly. What could this mean? He slowly stood upright. There, someone pointed in that house. For certain they were correct, but there was nothing to be seen. Just a house with this tremendous sound emanating from it. Micaiah blinked his eyes and tried to make them see reality as he pressed toward the house. Then he saw the people on the roof, at least as many as he had shared his cousin's roof, but all with their hands stretched toward heaven. With joy in their faces, they were crying out, but he could hear nothing over the wind, the wind that wasn't a wind. Then, as suddenly as it had begun, the sound ceased. The change was so dramatic that it seemed as if sound had ceased to be. But slowly, the voices of the people filled the vacuum. Soon he could hear those on the roof exclaiming, all of them at once, they weren't hollow, they weren't aimlessly plodding along, they were praising God. But he could only understand some of them. They were speaking all sorts of languages, but they were all wearing the same style of clothes. Clearly they were all, or at least most of them, from Galilee. How could they know all these languages? He knew Latin and he could hear that. He'd been to Crete enough to recognize their language improbably flowing from the lips of an older Jewish woman. The whole crowd that had rushed toward the sound now stood in awe, listening to praises rain down on them. A voice shouted out near him. An Arab proselyte was crying out in his own language. If Micaiah caught it correctly, the man asked, How do you praise God in my tongue? Then another, Was he from Persia? And soon there were voices in every language shouting all with the same question. But those on the roof didn't even seem to notice them. There was no answer. The shouting in the street died down. After a few moments, some man mocked, Ah, oh, they're just drunk. Crass men began to laugh and ridicule, Drunkards, sots. Were they blind? How could anyone think this could be the result of alcohol? Micaiah was about to berate some of them when a movement on the roof caught his eye. A small group of the men came to the edge of the roof. One of them raised his hand and the crowd quieted down. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it was only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Micaiah's heart was racing the hope the hope of Israel was this truly it was the joy to be back no not back finally here there was murmuring all through the crowd then the man's expression changed men of Israel hear these words it almost sounded like a warning the way he said it Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was true. It was true. Micaiah knew that he had been complacent in the carpenter's death. He was as guilty as those filthy Roman soldiers. And he wasn't alone. There were cries from people all throughout the crowd, but the man's tone moved to wonderment as he went on. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Could this be true? He had heard rumors, of course, but he had dismissed them as the ravings of hopeless followers. The men picked up the scroll and held it up. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Okay, this was true. But wasn't David talking about himself? The man put down the scroll. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. True, true. So it couldn't be David. His body went the way of all those before him. But what did it mean? Micaiah turned his attention back to the man. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. The Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, he would not see corruption. Of course, that made sense. But Jesus was the Christ? The man, when he had claimed they were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, had swept his hand around to indicate all those on the roof. Micaiah scanned those scores of people. He could see them all smiling and glowing with joy. He looked around at the crowd as they all began to whisper to each other and look up and back and all around. This was indeed an amazing claim. Micaiah was desperate to hear more, but he had to wait for the crowd to quiet down again. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. As the man said this, all those on the roof began to shout and praise God again and they once again used the myriad languages that they had before. Their hands were again stretched towards heaven as if they were reaching to touch the face of God. This was something amazing. Could it be? The man returned to his argument. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord? What was he saying? God says to God? What was he claiming? This is fantastic. Then the man's face became stern, and he stretched out his arm to point at one end of the crowd. He slowly swept it across to include all who stood in the street. And with power he proclaimed, Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Micaiah felt a jolt go through him. Great weights crushed down on his shoulders. He fell to his knees. Oh God, oh God, I did crucify him. I did reject the truth. I did reject the one who is God. I am guilty of his death. Micaiah's heart was pierced with the terrible truth of this accusation. All around him, men and women were sobbing and crying out. They were guilty of the most horrible sin, the death of the one sent from God. He looked up at the man and the eleven that stood with him. In agony, he cried out, Brothers, what shall we do? And the man poured out the hope he so clearly held as he opened his arms and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Micaiah felt the tears flowing down his cheeks as he asked God for forgiveness and turned away from his sins. And then a strange other thing occurred. He knew somehow 
that the Spirit of the living God was with him, in him, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He slowly stood to his feet as he looked up in wonder. The man was smiling as he gazed across the crowd. Micaiah realized with a mild shock that he was standing in a crowd. He had forgotten everyone else was there at that amazing moment. Now he too looked around and saw a great many others throughout the crowd who were looking in wonder about them as he did. As the eyes of each person met his, they both knew the Spirit of the living God is resident in that one. This knowledge of the presence of the Holy Spirit led to a thrill in his heart that spread through his body. He felt alive. He realized he had never felt alive before. He raised his hands toward heaven and began to praise God himself. All around him, people were praising God in their native tongues. Myriads of languages, all with one purpose. How long this went on, Micaiah had no idea. But then someone quoted the man, The promise is for us and for our children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We must show them this great truth. We must be baptized. A thought came to Micaiah and he shouted it out. The ritual cleansing baths in the temple. The crowd called to the men on the roof and they came down and led the procession to the temple. The throngs in the temple stared in wonder as this crowd entered and made their way toward the baths. Each of the twelve took a place and began to baptize the new believers as they came forward one after the other. Micaiah came out soaked and filled with joy. He put on his outer garment, but it soon absorbed the moisture of his clothes. Everyone could see that he was one of those baptized. He was glad of it. He moved out of the way so others could be baptized and was soon at the edge of the temple throngs. The spokesman for the twelve had been teaching continuously, and now he cried out to everyone there, Save yourselves from this crooked generation! A man next to Micaiah grabbed his arm and looked earnestly into his eyes. What does this mean? You were one of those baptized. I feel as if, I don't understand. Please, I must know. What is this thing that God is doing? Micaiah's joy only increased as he told him of the wind and the languages, the guilt and the resurrection, the promise of the Holy Spirit and the new life he now lived. The wonder on the man's face grew with each word. God in us. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for us. Soon Micaiah was on his knees with the man, watching his tears, seeing him recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit within him, leading him to be baptized. The birth of the church. The birth of the body. This was an event. (laughs) This church, right here, grew from that incredible moment in time. Every church on the face of the earth grew from that moment in time. A birth of any kind is an event. Luke, who penned the book of Acts, he knew, uh, he knew how amazing births are. I mean, he was a doctor. <laughs> and all young men, for whom this is still a possibility, you should not miss experiencing the birth of your children. Our kids were born at the end of that age where kids were delivered like pizzas, you know. <laughs> Fathers, you're just supposed to come and you, you pick up your kids by appointment. You know. I still remember our second one. Can you be here at 9 o'clock on this date? Yeah. Oh, good. Then we'll deliver him then. Okay. So I missed experiencing the births of our first two kids in person. But with our third and last, I did get to be there. And it was a defining moment in my life. Absolutely amazing and life-changing. And And... By the way, it brought me closer to our other two kids as well as to Aaron. So let me know if you want to hear the story. (laughs) I've related it to many, many people. (laughs) 
maybe some of whom could have lived their lives just fine without hearing it. <laughs> but others, and they got to hear it multiple times. <laughs> so you'll have to ask. But interestingly for some, they could experience the wonder of birth only vicariously. The only way that they would ever experience it. And this is true with the church. There could only be one day when the church was born and we missed it. Okay, <laughs> Luke understood this. He missed it himself. But he lived close enough to that time that he could interview those who were there and recorded the event for us. So I hope that fictional story that I wove around the true text has helped you to feel maybe some of the wonder that those people must have felt. Some of the wonder that Luke wanted to share with us. And we can learn some excellent basic facts about the church in this text. So we'll call our lesson today Church 101. <laughs> As we look at the special miraculous events that Luke recorded, we will see through them the enormous changes that were taking place in the world from a nationalized, priest-driven, temple-based external worship to individualized internal worship as the temple, the body, of Christ from Israel to the church. And hopefully, we'll get a basic description of what it means to belong to the church. So, let's look at the special events, the miracles, the wind, the fire, the languages, sometimes called tongues. The wind. God is often associated with special winds. He caused a wind to blow across the waters after the flood in order to dry the land. He used a wind to part the Red Sea to let the Israelites escape from the Egyptians. He brought quail for the Hebrews to eat by the millions. And again, he used wind for this purpose. He does that a lot. Wind was used a lot. The ship that Jonah used to run from God, from his work, was driven by a wind from the Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, it all works. But the most interesting, as it relates to the birth of the church, comes from the well-known story of Elijah. Listen as the Lord answers Elijah's urgent prayer. Go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. First there came a wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. Then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Then there was a still, small voice, a whisper, a breath, a wind, a spirit. In both Hebrew and Greek, the same word can mean all those things in English. Isn't that interesting? Let's look at the birth of the church from the perspective of those who were a part of it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. First, the wind. In just a couple chapters, Luke records that the place in which they were gathered together was shaken after some from this same group of people prayed. So the whole place was shaken. Taken together with a strong language inspired by the Holy Spirit that is here used, we think one 
would have felt an earthquake if they were in that house. So there was an earthquake also. So like Elijah, before the voices praised God, there was a wind, an earthquake, and a fire. A fire. Now we don't know if the bystanders saw the tongues, you know, the individual flames of fire. Probably not since they, they don't mention it in their questioning. I mean, if anybody saw something like that, they'd probably want to know what was happening. They probably would have asked. So they might not have seen it, but for sure those who were first born as the church did see tongues of fire. And since they knew their scriptures well, what did they remember as to fire? The Lord appeared to Moses in a fire that did not consume the bush that it engulfed. The Lord led the children of Israel by a pillar of fire at night. When Moses went up to receive the law, the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. But, most importantly, the fire of the Lord was over the early temple whenever the Lord was there. That's how they knew the Lord was present in the temple. You see, believers used to have to come to the temple to worship the Lord. And for those early Israelites, they knew the Lord was present in the temple when the fire rested on the temple. But at the beginning of the church, the fire rested on each believer. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) That now believers are the temple of the Lord. And he is present there. Then only the priest could come into the holy place of the temple and only the high priest could enter the holy of holies where the Spirit of God hoovered over the mercy seat. Then the Spirit of God came on the prophets and only the prophets. Now he will live in us. We need no priests. We need no prophets for now we are a kingdom of priests for him. Remember the flame over the temple? It was common only to the first temple and only at the beginning. And as for the New Testament, there is no other record of a fire appearing above any other believer's head. This was a sign specifically to celebrate the beginning, the birth of the church. Remember, birth is an event. Alright, then there's the last miracle, the special event, the praising of God in many languages. It's called tongues. It's important to remember that those in the crowd who were listening were pre-Christian believers. So they were all either born Jews or accepted the worship of Yahweh through the Israeli national religion. They believed and they all knew their Bible, the Old Testament. So they knew that at the beginning, everyone spoke the same language. Everyone worshipped God at the same level. Okay, actually, they knew everyone did not worship God at the same low level. And so the flood, everyone was destroyed except for the eight who believed. And then people multiplied and once again defied God and refused to spread across the earth. So God implemented the next stage in his plan. He caused multiple languages. Different groups suddenly and miraculously began to speak in different languages. Couldn't understand each other. After some time, the message of God was entrusted to one man and it was confined to one language and to one people. Official worship of God happened only in the language and culture of the Hebrews. But suddenly, all of those languages God had made could and would be used to worship Him. All people within their own culture could worship God. 
All people in their native tongue could worship the Lord. There's no need to come to the temple in Jerusalem because you are the temple wherever you are. No need to learn the language of the Hebrews because all people can speak the praise of God with equal effectiveness. You heard Peter's sermon in the, on that birthday of the church within the story that I told, but let's recap it. He said, this is real. It is the Holy Spirit. He said, you are guilty of Jesus' death. But God planned this just as he planned and foretold his resurrection. Jesus was raised and there are witnesses. The natural result of this is that he reigns in heaven and thus has authority and power to give these signs and this gift. And if you want into the family of God, the body of Christ, the church, you must understand that everything starts with this point. Admit you are a sinner. You crucified Jesus. Repent. Turn away from your past life. Turn away from your sins. But to repent, you must believe. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he rose again. You must believe that he can and will save you, that he is both Lord and Christ. And if he is both Lord and Christ, then you must, and will if you believe, commit your life to him. Everything you are and have, you must trust to him. Every relationship, every possession, every moment. And in answer to their question of what to do, Peter concluded by saying you can and must demonstrate the inward change of your heart. Demonstrate that you admit you are a sinner, that you believe Jesus the Christ can and will save you, that you have committed your life to him by the outward sign of baptism. It is a wonderful thing to study in depth the teachings of Scripture and to do so draws us ever closer to him. But the basic and the first message has never changed. <laughs> A, B, C. Admit, believe, commit. This is Church 101. If you want true life, you must admit your sin, believe in Jesus, and commit your life to him. Hasn't changed. If you want the filthy stain of your sins to be washed away, A, B, C. If you want eternal life, there is one to whom you must admit. There is one in whom you must believe. There is one to whom you must commit everything you are and all that you have. A, B, C. And you too will experience the joy of a life of and with the Spirit of the living God. And if you've already admitted, believed, and committed, well, first, you can have the joy <laughs> of sharing this new life with all those that you love. Which I guess would bring us to a question. With whom have we shared the ABCs? Hmm. Let's pray. Father, birth is an amazing thing. All of us went through it. Most all of us have seen it. We've all seen young babies. We've seen the amazing event that is birth. And the birth of the church, you certainly made amazing. <laughs> You made sure everybody knew you were involved with miraculous things. Wind and fire and languages. Things that nobody could have ever made up on their own. Nobody could have faked. This is real. 
and those people who believed in you before they understood who Jesus was were quick to grasp the truth. They were quick to understand their shortcomings. And they were quick to turn and to repent and to demonstrate that they believed. To demonstrate their complete and total commitment. Most of them ended up getting kicked out of the Jewish system entirely. They were committed. Lord, I guess there's a couple things we ask. One, help us to commit. Help us to commit ourselves to you. Help us to do the admitting and believing as time goes on because we always need to do that. But then, help us to tell other people about it too because if it really is true. We need to share this joy. We need to share this wonder with other people. Thank you, Father, that you so cared for us that you sent your Son to die. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. What an amazing promise. We look forward to that day, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.